Welcome to another episode of the Eccentrics with UI, where I have conversations with individuals that have the following three guidelines, such as they have traveled a fair bit, they have created a money-making venture, size of that venture is irrelevant, and lastly, they are willing to share a destabilizing events that occurred at the time and how did they rebound from that setback. Before we go into today's episode, I wanted to notify you that today's episode is sponsored by Three Nuggets Wednesday, which is a weekly newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, capturing three things that I found interesting and valuable during the previous week and sharing them with you, hopefully for it to add value in your life as well. And if you want to get access to this newsletter, you can visit the website www.uiukpong and insert your email address in the pop-up and you will receive this weekly newsletter every Wednesday. It's very straight to the point. Um, it's recommendation of books, songs, videos, exercises, anything that adds value to, oh, I found very interesting the previous weekend. I'm just sharing them with you. If you do enjoy the newsletter, please share with a friend or share with someone in your network. And uh, thank you for enjoying the newsletter. Any feedback is also uh, welcome. You can send me an email to hello at uiukpong.com. Now, let's get into the show. Today, we have on the show a lady by the name of Amandala Joseph. And who is Amandala Joseph? Amandala Joseph is a recently published writer with over 10 years of experience in writing and social work. She uses her experiences as a change maker and as a POC to inspire her stories and give a voice to the voiceless. She currently resides in Calgary, Alberta, where she performs her poetry, pre-COVID, of course, and recently completed her first novel and collection of short stories. Her goal is to publish these works next year. She's passionate about mental health issues, writing to celebrate her differences and social justice. And Mandela has always wanted to write, but felt stifled and obligated to fit in a conventional box. She would write in secret for many years before she got the courage to pen the first words of her novel. I bring you my conversation with Amandela. Enjoy the show. For today's episode, I decided to do something different. Uh, since uh, Amandela is an author and a poet, and the first author and poet that is coming on the show, I reached out to her and asked her if she would share with us one of the stories that she has created uh, or written. And uh, she was kind enough to do so. And you are about to listen to an excerpt of one of those stories. I will tell you the name of the uh, story um, towards the end of the show. So what we decided to do this time around is uh, you're going to listen to the first half of uh, the excerpt. And in the middle of the show, 
uh, we will press pause and allow Amandela to finish the final bit of the excerpt of the story. So I hope you enjoy this uh, little bit of creativity that we, or let me use my, let me use the word properly. I <laughs> have uh, decided to do so. I, I wanted you to experience people that come on the on the show, and if someone is a creative, why not uh, get to experience their works? And if you enjoy it, search out for them and follow them, and get to um, absorb or enjoy the things that they create. And who knows, you might just become a fan. So let's listen to the first excerpt of one of Amandela's stories. Week flew by and before I knew it, I was prepped and dressed for my set at the Amsterdam. I was so nervous. I tried to breathe deeply and collect myself in the club's restroom. It was one of those non-gendered bathrooms. I always feel so awkward in them, never quite sure if I should sit or stand or just leave. It was a packed house that night, which I didn't expect. The thought caused me to freak out again. Just then, the door swung open and a rush of strong perfume hit me like a brick to the side of the head. Jonathan, Shauna the MC said in an annoying sing-song voice. Hurry up, will ya? There's only three people ahead of you. Um, yeah, I'll be right out, I said and faked a confident grin. I looked down at my phone that rested precariously on the sink's edge. She still hasn't texted me, I thought to myself. I knew she wouldn't come. I felt my mood darken. Queenie wasn't a flake per se, but things like dates and promises had a habit of being forgotten. Whatever. I grabbed my phone and patted my jacket pocket to make sure I still had my peace. I had done that nearly five times so far between sips of my drink. A double scotch, no ice. As I took my first steps out of the restroom, I felt its dizzying effects and I grabbed the wall to steady myself as inconspicuously as possible. As I approached the stage, jazz music blared and voices raised joined to make a cacophony of irritating sounds. I wanna take this opportunity to thank every last one of you for coming out tonight to the interlude, a night of poetry, rhythm, rhyme, and a hint of seduction. A round of snaps erupted. Up next is a gentleman I could listen to all night and then some more. He's a local up and coming poet and writer. He creates these pieces of art that violate and expose you in the most pleasing ways. Would you send up your good vibes and snaps for Mr. Jonathan Bardot? What an introduction, I thought half drunkly. How am I gonna follow that up? Um, uh, hello, good evening. I said into the microphone, fingers snapped. I wrote this piece not too long ago as a tribute to, and then I saw her, Queenie. She sauntered in full of poise, impeccable style and confidence. Every eye had forgotten me and fixated on her. She had a way of sucking the air out of a room, leaving you gasping and somehow still wanting more. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, greetings from Calgary. As you know, I always like to always tell you where I am because one day I'll be in a different place as a traveler and adventurer that I am. And it is uh, four o'clock here on Monday, August 22nd, and I'm about to have a conversation with a lady by the name of Amandela Joseph. And 
I'm very pleased that uh, Mandela decided to come on the show. I always like to give a shout out to people that refer people to me. So I want to give a shout out to Randy Quanser. Thank you, Randy, for connecting me with Mandela. And I look forward to having a great conversation with Mandela and hopefully her story inspires somebody out there to get up and do something, whatever that thing could be. Mandela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. How how is your Monday going so far? Beginning of the week. You know, Mondays are my favorite day. <laughs> I know they get a bad rep, but for me, Monday is a fresh start, new perspective. Let's do this. Mm, okay, so I have something that I have seen on two profiles of yours, and then okay. I did a I did a bit of research, and I was like, I don't see this keyword in any of the research I've done on you, and this is what it is. This is from Instagram. Thick thighs save lives. Trust me, I'm a doctor. And then on your on your Facebook, it says intro. Trust me, I'm a doctor. What is with this doctor thing? Are you a medical doctor? I'm not a medical doctor. No, I. It's a phrase that I used to say a lot in university and college. Like, trust me, I'm a doctor. Or I play one on TV. Um, it's just a funny witticism that I I throw out there. Yeah, but. Okay, but what's the genesis of it? There must be something that triggered you to always use this intro, even on your Instagram, on your Facebook. If, if you have a website, I'm sure it's probably going to be there as well. So <laughs> where, did it, where did it come from? It literally came from my first year of university. And I was standing in line um, at the registrar. And these other ladies were asking me questions about like, where do I do this? Where do I do that? What line should I be in? And I was just answering it, like, you know, knowledgeably. And they were like, wow, do you work here? I'm like, no, 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 honey, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Trust me. And ever since then, <laughs> it's just been my phrase. Like everyone who knows me knows that I throw that out there. <laughs> Have people also asked or been curious like me, if you're a medical doctor, why you, you seem to always use it all the time? Or maybe it's just me being my inquisitive self. This might just be you. Uh, this is the first time I've been asked about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because when I saw it on your Instagram and I saw it on Facebook, I started, I now started putting your name on, on search bars and putting medical doctor. I couldn't find nothing. So I was like, I got to ask this question. I am so <laughs> sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, you said it started when you were in university. Where did you go to college? I went, to, I went straight from high school into Mount Royal when it was Mount Royal College. And then I graduated when it was Mount Royal University. So I kind of oh. went two places in one area <laughs> ah and if i may ask what did you study social work yeah to become a social worker yes ah okay so before we go into if you decided to follow that line or if you decided to follow the line that i i know you as um mm -hmm. let let's start with childhood and i want to start with the name amandela I mean, I have never come across with anyone called a Mandela. And I always feel that there's always a genesis to everything. As you can see how I started the conversation by saying, trust me, <laughs> doctor. So how did this name a Mandela come about? Well, you'd have to thank my mom for that one. Um, she was very big into social justice. She is also a social worker. Now she is retired, but she used to work in mental health as a therapist. So from the get-go, she heard about Nelson Mandela, fell in love with the movement and fell in love with the man and wanted to find a way to pay homage to that. 
um, because I was born around the time where um, they had like recently announced that he would be released from prison. So what was supposed to be my name was Winnie as as an after his wife, quickly then changed into Mandela. And then she got the idea to feminize it with an A. And um, she wanted, because as just like I believe, like you have to be careful what you name your children. She did it on purpose. She watched this man go through so many struggles, um, so eloquently, so waxed so, so well. And the way he was able to, use the pain as a platform um, that inspired her. So there you have Amandela. Um, Siobhan is my middle name. Uh, it was given to me by my father uh, after another family member. So when you put it all together, Amandela Siobhan, it's a mouthful, but it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So if Nelson Mandela Law wasn't going to be released in 1994, your name would have been Winnie, not Amandela. Yes. That is very interesting. <laughs> and, and, and and since you've been paid homage to uh, Mandela or even Winnie, his ex-wife, mm-hmm. please tell me your visit to South Africa. I have never visited. It is on my bucket list. I would love to do the whole pilgrimage back. Um, it is something, you know, everyone has a bucket list that they're probably not going to do everything on. But this is my like actual working list. So, um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, it's funny. Um, in 2013, December. I actually went, I already had bought a ticket to go to South Africa. And -hmm. unfortunately, a few days before we were to leave, Nelson Mandela passed away. And let me tell you how this man's life touched people. We were now in South Africa, the burial was going to take place. So they did the wake, you know, how when someone dies, they leave people to do a viewing. Mandela, you won't believe it. His viewing was in the largest stadium in the country. Mm -hmm. And we, there were the lineup of the people was so long that we stood in one spot. I, t- I kid you not for an hour. Wow. Wow. It was, it was like crazy. And it, his viewing took three days for, to allow the entire public to just feel that they could say goodbye. So it's amazing how one really starts out life not knowing how his life would end or what um, topic or thing they would take on to chew on. And that could just be their legacy. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I feel when it comes to my name, uh, I feel as if like the prison doors have opened for myself as well in my own life. And like I've been released and been able to actualize like my prime directive, which right now is, again, like I said earlier, turning pain into a platform and being heard. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So so did you decide to, when you were in Mount Royal College and you studied social work, was yes. it because, was the influence your mom or was it because of your name and who you, you are named after? What, I would say what a little you... column A, a little column B. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I intrinsically want to help people. I've always been that, that friend you can depend on, the shoulder to cry on. I was basically the neighborhood psychologist, you know, Charlie Brown style with my friends. And it was just something that I knew I had to do. But at that time, I didn't know that it was only going to be for a season. And um, that took a lot of time to digest. 
but I, I'm glad that I did what I did in the time that it happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're now an author. That is what yeah. I know you as. But mm-hmm. have you ever been in the social work arena at all? Yes, yes. Um, I worked with a few local agencies, um, either doing fund development or, um, for instance, there was one agency I spearheaded like a decompression room, as I called it, just to address the mental health concerns of the actual, um, my, my coworkers, because we spend so much time caring for others, we forget that we have to fill our cup first. And so it was kind of like my, my little pet project that kept going. It's still there. Some other people run it right now, but it's still there. Um, where it was okay to not be okay. Once you close that door, that is the time to, yes, decompress, but also to restore, hit the reset button before you go out and have to do it all over again. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you, say, when you say pet project that is still there, you mean you created an organization around this initiative? It's not an organization. It's a physical room. Uh, so oh. I did a bunch of research into paint colors, um, into fidgets, like fidget spinners. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but like... I've seen that. Is, isn't, isn't, isn't fidget spinner... Hold a second. Fidget spinners, the one that I know is the one that I see kids doing. Yeah. So are you saying fidget spinners came from the mental health world? Yeah, it can be used for that. A lot of children with uh, ASD or autism spectrum disorder um, actually do quite well with things like uh, fidget spinners or things that help them stem. So it's a way of just uh, refocusing the energy and being able to focus on something outside of themselves. So it's almost like when you click a pen while you're talking, you're actually mm-hmm. self-soothing. Oh, okay. Same idea. Mm-hmm. So, so I used to live in Kenya. Um, I just came back from Kenya. I was there for two years and four months. And I kid you not, there was this kid that always walked the same route with someone. I don't know if it was his uncle or a family member, or maybe the family had hired this person to, to be with this kid. And mm-hmm. every time he, he always held a ball mm-hmm. and he always looked at the ball Every time I saw him on the road when he was walking, would you say it's similar to the fidget spinner for that kid? I would have to know more about him to give like an adequate, like diagnostic opinion. However, it does sound quite similar to stemming. Um, yeah, I would, I would have to know more. I have to see how it interacts with it, without it, to be able to tell you that. So I'm going to stay here for a while because, as you can sure. tell, I'm very inquisitive. What is stemming, please? Stemming is a, any behavior that a, a child or an adult does um, that kind of helps them refocus their energy. So ones that we usually see a lot with um, children is rocking back and forth, uh, flapping of the hands, uh, rubbing of the fingertips. Um, and it's all a form of like self-soothing. And it, so it happens usually when they're overstimulated in their environment. So it kind of just like brings them back. And it's something that we do without thinking. It's not something they're taught. Oh, so so if if someone is stemming, sorry, I'm going to say that. And please pardon me if I say things that are wrong <laughs> in, the, in, in this, in the mental health space. I'm, I'm a very big proponent and advocate of mental health because I had, a, I had an episode happen to me in 2021. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to mental health, I had 
take it very seriously. Actually, I'm, I'm going to say it here. I'm mm -hmm. actually cre I'm creating a, a wellness center by God's grace in Kenya in, uh, in a couple of years. So um, I took my issue and decided to create a business around it because I said to myself, there are probably more people like me and we should actually destigmatize this topic especially mm -hmm. in the Af in the african setting so stemming would would stemming be a repetitive action by a patient and then you can say that that that's that patient is stemming <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking <laughs> uh, it's kind of circular how we said it there but yeah actually it's it doesn't have to be as maladaptive as it sounds a lot of people who do it do it unconsciously and you wouldn't even notice in talking to them in conversation. When we see children who um, participate in STEMming, it looks a little off in comparison to um, their peer group that are neurotypical. Um, but I'm a big believer in there. There's no such thing as like neurotypical, neurodivergent. It's just they have a different way of dealing with the same environment that I have. So why don't I widen my view of what is socially acceptable or uh, communicative and embrace what they're doing? So then it's less us and them and more of just us. Mm. Mm. Okay. So this physical room that you, you created, mm -hmm. what, what is that all about? I mean, is the physical room a way to aid their healing or aid their wellness? Uh, aid in, in, in self-care. So think of it as the way that I, I kind of put it was that it's a, it's a playground for adults. It's oh. reminding us of what we used to do to soothe ourselves. It was everything from coloring to um, listening to whale sounds, ocean sounds, um, sand tray, um, which basically is, it, it is what it sounds like. It's a massive tray of sand, but play with it. Let the grains of sand go through your fingertips. What are you feeling? What are you ignoring? What are you, you know, and it brings you back in touch, grounds you. Um, we had an area where it was just with aromatherapy, where you could bring any like essential oil that you like, or use ones that I provided and just meditate in that space if you needed to before like your next shift or in between clients, just to make sure you're at your peak um, performance for the next person. Because I was noticing that a lot of us were dealing with varying degrees of burnout mm. and it was affecting how we were able to do our jobs. Mm. This, mm. This, phys this physical room that you created, this is based here in Calgary? It is in Calgary. Um, now, uh, the last time I checked up on it, a U of C student uh, was taking it up as part of their practicum. Uh, so just, just, just press pause. So for the audience, U of C is University of Calgary. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he took it up and they moved it to a different area of the building and uh, it's been doing pretty well. I would love love to come back and like just add new things to it or even start a new one somewhere else um 
it's not just for us, it's, it's for any helping profession, I believe, needs that few minutes of recharge throughout the day, not just like you get home because a lot of us have families or partners, right? And as soon as we come to the door, they're excited to see us. They want to engage with us, but we tend to, after eight, nine hours of being in the moment with someone, maybe through a really difficult situation, we can't give them what they need. And then we have issues in the home. Whereas if I incorporated self-care throughout my day, by the time I get home, I may be a little tired, but I'm not emotionally drained. I can give to my partner. My partner can give to me and feel safe emotionally. So this physical room per se doesn't necessarily have to be a designated place you go to like a gym or a clinic. You can create this physical room in your own personal space. Yes, I actually have one in my apartment as well. (laughs) <laughs> so for someone listening mm-hmm. and you and you being almost like an expert in this field how can I section off a space in my home and create like a physical room that mm-hmm. I, it's, a, it's a place that I can always go when I, I need that mental recharge or whatever what, what, what kind of guidance would you give to someone listening to this to do that in their own personal space I would suggest the first thing is to walk through your space. Notice how you feel in each area of your space. If you can find, and sometimes we don't always have the luxury of this and we have to go outside of our home, but in let's say there is a space in your home that you feel connected, you feel grounded and you feel in layman's term, okay, I would invest in maybe some, some toys, some sand tray, uh, the best place I've, I've gone to that has uh, resources to use is uh, Michael's, Michael's Arts and Crafts, where they have a section um, that just has like rocks, like smooth rocks and uh, little toys, just things that kind of stimulate you. Um, I know it sounds like child's play because that's what it is. We are given this innate talent to soothe ourselves, but we forget about it or we ignore it or we don't nurture it. So if you give yourself that space in your home and do that throughout your day, you'll notice that things aren't as overwhelming as they seem. Um, In that space that you, you find in your home, it'll take some practice, it'll take some trial and error to find exactly what helps you come down off of that anxious high or that anticipatory anxiety or even procrastination that you're dealing with at home if you're working from home. Um, but uh, for, for myself uh, in particular, I started with sand. I ended up with paint, finger painting, mm. Messy, mm. but very you, effective. You mean, you mean immersing yourself in the paint and using your fingers to paint? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. And the the greatest thing about art therapy is it doesn't have to look like anything. It has to look like how it feels. Wow. You know, I think think you and I need to speak when I'm about to create a wellness center because one Mm -hmm. of the features that I have set aside to include in the wellness center is arts and craft. Mm. And And I was thinking that if you came to our wellness center and typically you can go on an app and choose what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you choose, if you choose arts and craft, then you can say, 
it could either be painting and stuff and then you come to the center and you can pick up uh, a paintbrush and a paint and the canvas is already provided for you in a certain zen environment so mm -hmm. i i basically they can something, they have something similar to that in the uh, coast mental health region in vancouver um okay. they provide all the things that you're going to need you just pick and you create so it can be done Post mental health in Vancouver. Post, yes. Okay. So with, with the pandemic now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, look, please continue. No, they have they have different locations throughout Vancouver and Vancouver Island. So there's a lot of resources to, to kind of uh, borrow from or talk to that could potentially help you with that. So us in Calgary, mm -hmm. where can one go if you don't want to create this in your home? Because with the pandemic now. Most mm -hmm. people are working from home and they just want an outlet to go somewhere. Where would you recommend here in the city or even in the province? Um, there is a few art therapists that do operate outside um, and within Calgary. The one that's coming to mind right now is the Prairie Institute of Art Therapy. They offer um, classes if you want to get accredited for that through them or uh, if you want to join a group sort of art excursion kind of deal. Um, and then they actually have like art therapists who do like uh, private work. Um, I have a few names coming to mind, but we can talk about that after. But yeah, uh, yeah so they are there. The best thing I find is Google. If mm. like whatever you want to do because that you can use it for different reasons, right? You can use it through trauma work, PTSD, anxiety, depression. So just basically go on to Google art therapy, comma, whatever you're you know dealing with, and then do your research in terms of um, interview these people. They, they are giving a service and you are paying for it. So make sure it fits what you're looking for. Hmm. I, I have another. I have another question as a business-minded person. Sure. What? Why haven't you created a center like this? That is a and, good and, question. And, and commercialize <laughs> and, and commercialize it. Not commercialize it in a negative way, but mm -hmm. almost like almost like a gym. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. It's thank you for opening that thought process for me. But, um, yeah. That would be amazing. I, I love consulting. I love um, being a part of things from the ground up. Grassroots is my my safety place. I love it there. So, yeah, I'll have to look into that. Thank you. Yeah, because for me, I, all I think that just needs is a, 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 a rental space, going mm -hmm. to Michael's and picking up all these things and mm -hmm. just putting put a sign and say, we're open. And then people start yes. to embrace it and people now say, wow, this is a, a, a nice outlet for me because mental health is really real, man, especially with the pandemic. I have I have a friend that moved out of Calgary because she felt Calgary was crazy for her and she moved to Venom just mm. because of she just needed an outlet. And it took her two years and now she's planning to come back in November. And mm. now she can she can look at Calgary in a more inviting way instead of an oppressive way that it was. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel as if this this uh, what you're teaching us about mm -hmm. is definitely needed, and not just needed when I need to see a doctor, I need to see an expert. It's almost needed when I just need an outlet just for thirty minutes. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm. 
So, so let's let's go back to your childhood because I always like to understand people's childhood to understand where they have become. What was your childhood at? Were you born here in Canada? I was born here in Canada, right here in Calgary, born and raised. Um, and my mother at the time, she worked with the First Nations community in Lethbridge as well as Coaldale. Uh, so I grew up in Southern Alberta at a time when it wasn't so cool to be different. Um, it, it, it was, hmm. <laughs> it was an experience that I don't wish upon anyone. However, it did shape how I am today. And what I mean by that is. Okay. I was about, I was about to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, do, do, are, you, are you making that comment as a person of minority? Yes. Are you making that? Okay. All right. Okay. Understood. Okay. Continue, please. It, it was very difficult growing up um, and going to school in Southern Alberta because yes, I am a black woman and I was very tall and lanky and <laughs> didn't fit into any box. And, but the, the hardest thing to go through was being a minority in Southern Alberta. I remember kids running away from me at recess, um, not wanting to touch me because it'll come off and make them dirty. Um, their parents telling them they're not allowed to be friends with me. I've been turned away at my well, supposed friends' homes when their parents find out that um, Amandela is black and they don't they didn't want anything to do with that. And going into junior high and high school, it was more of the same. And it got to a point where I even had like, um, we had like constables in our high schools, which are just like off-duty cops pretty much that come and do the, you know, say no to drugs kind of programming. But he had to come with me to class because I was not safe because I had other peers telling me the ways in which they would hurt me just because of what I this, look like. This is Calgary. This is Lethbridge, Coaldale, Tabor. Oh, <laughs> the, the, smaller, the, the, sm- the smaller, the smaller towns. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and um, how did you recover from this? I started writing. Um, I started writing in my journal. I started writing very angry op-ed letters to no one in particular, <laughs> but it was, it was cathartic. It was needed. And also getting to a place where in grade 12, going to graduate, I finally said, you know what? I, I can let go of this place now. Like I, I don't have to prove anything by staying here. I can go back home, which for me, home is Calgary. And it was the best decision I ever made to be in a place that has so much diversity and so much respect for diversity. It does have its drawbacks sometimes, um, but nothing compared to what I grew up with. What time period are we talking about in Lethbridge and Coldell and this place is Atebe? We're early talking- Early 90s? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gee. Now, when you go back to these places, if you ever go, do you do you have have you been able to bury these memories and you can still go to this place and still have fun now? Because they're they're just around us. Yes. Um, that's a good question. Uh for a long time, no. Uh 
I would avoid them like the plague. Now I can go there confidently. I can go there and feel safe there. The community has broadened. There's a lot of um, people of color there that live great lives, don't have any of the same experiences I had, and it's much more inclusive. So it is a totally different evolved place. Um, however, in the beginning, uh, when I would go back to visit, uh, it, it was quite difficult because I couldn't separate what happened to me from what it looks like now. Mm. And, and how did your parents handle this period of your life with all these challenges you were having as a child? Did, did, you, did My, you even tell them? Not all the time, no. I didn't want to upset anyone. I, I didn't want to... Yeah, upset the balance that we had going on. It was already apparent we were the only Black family in the whole town or in the whole area. Um, I didn't want them to worry. However, the few times that I did go to my mother and explain, like, this is hurting me, um, she, she was very good at reminding me of the strength of the color that I am what stock I come from. In my country, um, we are from the Was Emily tribe. And I have a lot of pride in that. And I have that because of our talks, because of every time she saw me, you know, a little down would remind me, put your chin up. Hmm. You are from Was Emily, put your chin up. How do you spell Was Emily, please? You know, I can say it, but I can't spell it. Oh, <laughs> oh my, okay. I can't okay. spell in Patois, sorry. <laughs> because, because uh, as you know, I, I'm, I'm big in traveling and stuff. So when yeah. you say Wasameli, the, the, the first thing that went through my head is, where is that? And which which identification can I use to identify? Then you said my country. When yes. you say my country, what is my country, sorry? The Commonwealth of Dominica. Oh, okay. Okay, West so the, do, yeah. the Dominican Republic. No, there's two. So the Republic shares island with Haiti. The Commonwealth is a very small island just between about uh, St. Lucia and Antigua. We're in that part of the chain, but it's very small. <laughs> ah, how far is it from the Dominican Republic that we all know of? Uh, it's, well, it's, it depends. Now with COVID, like you'd have to stop all over the place, but it's, it is the same chain, right? Mm -hmm. So we're all considered part of the West Indies. It's not like, un, like far off country or anything like that. You can island hop quite easily. Whether and, and by was, or plane. Was the Commonwealth of Dominica once part of, were they together at one time and then they separated, hence they have the same kind of names? No. Um, so uh, the Republic is Spanish and the Commonwealth was an English and French colony. Oh. So it's all about like during slavery, like who took over what. And it's interesting um, for how small our island is. We are known for our ecotourism. So spelunking, um, which is cave diving, basically, uh, nature hikes every anything you can think of we have we have a river for every day so that's 365 rivers uh we were also used for the location for um parts of the caribbean that's a big thing <laughs> for us mm, too 
So oh, the, lagoon, okay. the lagoon scene when he's going to go see the witch, that is actually not too far from where I am based. Wow. So yeah. we are going to take our first water break here and mm-hmm. come back with a Mandela and continue this conversation. And I know exactly where I want to go, which is <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay with your family. But then I want to go back to the Commonwealth of Dominica to see if that is you, what you can tell us about that place because sure. ecotourism is a big thing with me because when I think of ecotourism I think of Belize mm-hmm. I never think of Commonwealth of Dominica so this is kind of insightful for me as well mm-hmm. so we'll be back with uh, Mandela shortly so we are back with uh, Mandela and uh, she was uh, educating us on how the West Indies is uh, uh you know, I hate to say this, how the West Indies was designed, even though they should have just let everybody be before all these lines were mm-hmm. created due to, due to colonization. But we move on from that. So I wanted to come back to your childhood and then go back there and then come to another place. So when you were growing up and you were having all this form of discrimination that you went through, did you have siblings uh, that uh, at least you had outlets to have friends through? unfortunately I'm the only child um well at that time I was the only child Um, my half sister and I are about 13 years apart so by the time you know (laughs) by the time we could hang out it was too late but um I my the rest of my family was in Calgary and I many of my cousins are around the same age as I am so for me school was a countdown to summer vacation where I could be with people who looked like me, who understood me, who talked like me. And I am so thankful for that because I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have at least that to look forward to mm. when put in that position. So when this, mm-hmm. when this, when this, uh, when this, uh, I want to call it subtle, quiet mm-hmm. kind of discrimination was you were experiencing those the pencil and the and the paper, that is when the, the friendship with the pencil and the paper or the pen and the paper or the computer or whatever it is started? <laughs> yes, uh, I spent a lot of time in the library, um, in the public library because I didn't have any friends. And the ones that I did have, we had to uh, make sure it was a secret. Uh, so a lot of my spare time was discovering different authors. That's where I kind of got the the habit of reading a story without reading into the author first. Uh, I let the story tell me if it's good. And I, I would bike from my house to the library, maybe about 10 a.m., come back 5 p.m. Like that, that was my happy place. And in probably around grade three, I started to dabble in writing on my own, like little short stories that I would um, so, sorry, just for just for the, someone listening to this in out of North America, when you say grade yeah. three in a North American setting, how how old are you at that time? About seven. Okay, seven. Okay, all right. Seven. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, well, maybe closer to seven and a half, eight. Yeah. Uh, so I was a child, um, and I just remember what I would do is I would read books that were well beyond my comprehension. <laughs> And I would challenge myself with a little dictionary and figure out if I could figure out what this word means by all the words that are around it. And that was my favorite game to play. 
was a solo game, but it was my favorite game to play. And I'm so thankful it was because now it gave me a command over the English language that I don't think I would have had if I had just watched TV or, you know, play Nintendo, <laughs> not to put those things down. But for me, that's, this is what worked was surrounding myself with words. And for the purpose of feeling like I, I was a part of something, um, words don't know what color you are. Mm-hmm. This is where you flick the you flick the fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Wow, that's that's powerful. Thank wow. you. Wow. Hmm. So you said something that got my attention. You said I wouldn't read. I wouldn't want to know the author first before I read the book. Mm-hmm. What? Why? Why was that? I think it boils down to I was judged by what I looked like, and whatever I did was based uh, judged based on that solely that I flipped the switch kind of thing. I, I flipped the script as they like to say. Um, I wanted to know what they had to say before I wanted to know what they look like. And it, that continues till today. I take off all front covers of my books because it doesn't matter to me. Yes, their con- content matters, but what they look like or where they're from, or if I can tell what background they are, like that doesn't matter as much as the pages after that. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, uh, I'm sure you know, Stacy Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to this podcast, uh, 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 Ro- uh, Deviate with Rolf Potts, actually, by the way, Rolf Potts uh, is uh, a lodestar of mine. He created, he wrote a book called Vagabonding that mm. uh, changed, changed my life and made me appreciate long-term traveling. And he invited um, a guest on the show from Kansas, Wich- Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I knew I heard that authors, sometimes some authors have actually created a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Stacey Abrams is a writer. And for a long time, people did not know that was Stacey Abrams as, as a writer. Is, mm-hmm. is, would you say authors do the same Make, make that decision because of what you just highlighted or some people also have different reasons why they do that as well? I think everyone's reason for using a pseudonym is highly personal. Uh, in the beginning, I was writing a blog called Afrocentrics and I went by Ashika Agape. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds great, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ag- Agape is uh, spiritual, I think. Yes, yes. And the then I sh- when I... When I hear Ashika, I think of, I don't know why I think of Ghana, but mm. why did you, okay, before you go, before you continue, why did you, how did you come up with this name? I dreamt it. <laughs> yeah, a lot, like I would say 90% of what I write, I either dreamt or partially dreamt. Yeah. So when, when I first started, I, I wasn't confident in my writing voice yet. So I used a pseudonym. Um, it's basically probably since 2021 that I've started using Amandela Joseph. Mm. And it's not from, you know, not liking my name or anything. I think I've, I think I've proven I'm proud of my name. But we're, 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 just, we're just talking last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So Jeez. for a very long time, I would not pen my name to anything because I wasn't confident in the voice. But it was through talking to other people that, had read some of my work and were like, oh yeah, like I really enjoy this girl's writing. And then I'm like, oh who? And you know, I'd hear the name and 
because uh, I also went with Mandy Joseph too, right? So, Yo, what's um, Mandy is my nickname, and oh. he like hearing other people, you know, comment on quote Mandy's work. I was like, wow, you know, I have to put my name to my stuff. I I have to claim all these blessings and like, you know, cultivate them. Like it, it's okay to use my name. I may not have exactly the voice I'm looking for yet. Um, but what is being produced is being appreciated and I should be a part of that appreciation. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. There was something you said at the beginning of this conversation, you mm-hmm. said names are important and we shouldn't really deviate from the name given to us because there was a reason behind that. Mm-hmm. When we also had a conversation on Saturday, preparing to come on the show, I remember you telling me that you don't like to be called other names. Why did you accept to be called Mandy? Mandy is... Because my, 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 Mandy is very white. It is. It is. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is... Mandy's a different situation for me because in my family, almost all of us have names starting with M. I'm basically the only one with an A, right? So it was kind of like a childhood, like you belong to us, your name is Mandy. So it was a nickname that I didn't um, dislike. It meant I meant I belong to who I belong to. What I mean by not deviating is as I got older, I relied less and less on Mandy and more and more on Amandela. Um, most minorities will know the name on the resume can make and break before you even set foot in the office. And I noticed growing up that I would get more callbacks using Mandy Joseph versus Amandela Joseph. But now I'm at a place in my life where I can not call out, but call in and bring people, make more awareness around names and that like, you shouldn't, I hate using shouldn't, but you shouldn't uh, judge based on a name. Ask me, what do I stand for? Look at what I'm doing. And that will tell you whether I'm a good candidate or not not how I spell my name. Mm. You know, it's funny, my story is similar to yours. My name is Upong Upong. And mm. even in Nigeria, where I'm from originally, Nigerians also used to make fun of me because they say my name sounds like you take cutlery and throw it up in the air when it lands on the ground. Whatever sounds it makes, that's oh, how no. your parents called you that name. And then, because my tribe, most of us speak through our nose, Mm-hmm. I, was al- I was always picked on because of my name. So growing up, I wasn't really proud of my name. Mm-hmm. And my father gave me the name UI, which is the first letter of my first name and the first letter of my middle name. And I always went by UI all the time. I still go by UI. But mm-hmm. now, now that I'm self-aware of the world at large, I'm so proud of my name. And mm-hmm. I think it all, it all came about through Germany. The Germans have got one of the long names and strange names sorry to say and we that like football and soccer that they call here in north america we pronounce these names very well so i'm like Mm -hmm. you know what you're gonna pronounce my name too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so i i totally can relate to you would you say you were comfortable with mandy for a long time because it came from a place that you were comfortable in which is your family your family was the one that kind of gave you the name would you say that's probably why you were comfortable with it 
while it depended on who I was surrounded by in the moment. So if I was with my family, it felt like a connection that way. If I was with my friends, it felt like belonging. Um, it was easier on their palate to say Mandy. So they called Mandy more. They wouldn't call Amandela. They wouldn't call Siobhan. They'd call Mandy. Mm, okay. Yeah. I see. So did the short stories begin first or did the poetry begin first? Because they're, they're two different things. Yes. Yes. Poetry started first um, later in my life. I, I always wrote shorter stories. Yes. As a kid, but to say that I wanted to submit them or get people's attention with them, it started with poetry and um, performing uh, slam poetry. Yeah. And, and, and okay, continue. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And yeah. Um, at, when it comes to writing, it was very personal. A lot of the poetry that I wrote was inspired by a previous life partner um, who is no longer with us anymore. Um, oh, however, sorry, sorry about that. However, it did push me into this realm that I'm in now where I want to be in the business of transformation. So what I was feeling for this partner and after they had passed, um, I put it on paper and then I forced people to listen to it. It was hard. It was raw. It was difficult. But that's what it was like to live it. So when you wrote poetry or short story, what mm -hmm. were you, were you, I'm asking this question because I love, I love reading. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I'm an okay writer. Um, but when you write poetry, is there a certain, if I, okay, if I were to read your work and I were to mm -hmm. read poetry or to read short story, can I say, because I know I'm Mandela and I'm reading her poetry work and this is what she created. There was a certain kind of there was a certain kind of emotion she was going through. Do you write poetry when you're sad, or do you write short story when you're happy? That's basically what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> I used to only write when I was sad because I was sad a lot. Um, but now I write every day, regardless of how I'm feeling. Even if it's a stream of conscious that I come back to later, uh, I, I make it a habit to just write in every capacity that I can. And that's just trying to capitalize on my talent before, like I said, it was, you know, I'm feeling down. I'm, um, I'm, I'm not feeling connected and you can see it reflected in a lot of my earlier work, mm -hmm. but now I can, I, like, I actually prefer writing a man's voice versus through a, a female voice. Most of my stories are written as men and I find so much more liberation, so much more, uh, opportunity to say what I want to say. It doesn't matter how dark or sexual or anything. I just have ownership over it when I use a man's voice. You can, you can, you can anticipate the question I'm about to ask. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I spent a lot of time writing as myself or writing as my character being a female and I just I couldn't say what I wanted to say because it would go against convention and a lot of places weren't accepting it 
And, and when I say a lot of places, I mean like uh, literary magazines were like, good try, but, you know, let's, let's see what else you can do, right? And I did some other things, but the moment I found my male voice is when things really started to take off. And mm-hmm. no, please, please continue. Sorry, please. <laughs> no, it, I put on this hat <laughs> in, in, a, in a weird way where I no longer have to ascribe to what people think women should think like. I feel like men, at least at, so, at some point in our evolutionary experience, have evolved into this being where they don't have to think as hard of what they want to say. They just say it and they are unapologetic. That's what I'm looking for. That's the word I was looking for, unapologetic. And I, I like that about you know the male species. And so I put, I incorporated it into my writing. And when I started doing that, everything started flowing so much faster. There's so many stories that I have that people have no idea who Amandela is. Is is that a guy? Is that a girl? I'm not sure. Unless I put my picture there, they have no idea. Hmm. That's, that's how I like it. Did, did it come easy to you to write as a guy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, sorry, I'm just going to ask. Yeah. How is it? How is it like writing like a guy? Like, what what place do you have to go? To? Because when I write, mm-hmm. I have never thought: Am I writing as a guy? Or am I writing as a girl here? So, for you being female, mm-hmm. writing as a guy, is there a place you need to get to to be able to start writing as a guy? I've or always it, had. Or, like, or it comes easy to you. It comes easy now. When I first started and was first. Um, experimenting with it it was something I did in secret because it highlighted the fact that I too find women attractive I too um, have wants and desires that are quite similar to what you would find in a man and I wasn't ready to express that yet but in writing just like using a pseudonym it kind of gave me that in to express it without having to claim it yet. Hmm. If that and makes sense. <laughs> it, 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 does it also help when you want to go to subject matters that are very raw and edgy? Yes, it does. It does. Because when you think about it, think about it this way. Someone dies in your life, right? As a female, people look to you to cry and to grieve and to be quiet when you're a man, people look to you to be strong. Maybe you can cry a little bit, but more or less be strong. But on the inside, there's an internal dialogue that's happening that women aren't privy to. But for some reason I'm able to tap into, for instance, one of my latest stories called The Deafening 30 follows a young man whose partner commits suicide. And the way in which I'm able to describe and contrive this whole story is from that internal dialogue because the whole time he doesn't speak it's Mm. about 30 days of absolute silence after 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 his partner or his friend okay okay yes yes 
So I had to figure out a way of tapping into that. So I did a lot of people watching, a lot of questions asking. I, I visited mental institutions. I did what I needed to do to tap into it. And since I did that, it's kind of become addictive. Like I prefer it. Is your, is your writing dark? Some of it, yes. Yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say dark. I would say maybe differently informed. Like it, it, it's part of life, death. Um, hmm. It's when you, when you start talking about things like mental illness, people start labeling it as, as, as dark, but this is someone's life. Like, they see the same silver linings I do. They wake up every morning just like I do, but I wouldn't call their experience dark. I would just call it different. I would just, yeah, they're just experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing, but different. Very true. I think, uh, uh, thanks for correcting me. Basically, I think the word I should use is basically highlighting how they are seeing life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um are there subject matters that you want to be typecast and say when you think of a mandela joseph this is what you should think about like when i think of adele there's a kind of music mm-hmm. that i want to i want to go to if i want to listen to adele than if i'm going yeah. to listen to a rapper or something so for you is there is is there genres that you stay in or you are fluid and you can go anywhere Part of writing every day is ensuring that I can be fluid. However, at this point in my career, it is it has been more profitable, if you will, and profitable in the sense of like it's accepted more in the what you would call darker realm of writing. Because um, I think people are starting to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, especially since COVID hit, people have been experiencing mental health in a totally different way. And being able to read these things and be like, wow, I thought of that, but I didn't want to say it aloud. Or I saw that in someone else, but I didn't want to ask. Right? It's, it's shedding light on something that's very important. So I don't, I don't think it's dark. I think it's light in a dark Mm. place illumination yes Mm, mm, mm. when did you decide to take writing seriously and make a career out of it about six or seven years ago i decided you know what as well as i'm doing i could do better and i hate to think of it as like a fiscal decision because you know, I, I too am a tortured, poor writer, <laughs> but <laughs> I, on the flip side, I was like, I have a prime directive and I need to start living it out. And no matter what it takes, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a writer. I am a writer. Mm. Mm. And, and when you make this kind of decision to say, this is where I am putting the stick and this is where I'm sticking my future. Did you have mm-hmm. to, I mean, the person that comes to my mind is J.K. Rowling. 
Mm. I mean, she's she's sitting down in a coffee shop writing Harry Potter, poor as a as a as a church rat, and look at who she is today. Yeah. When writers make that decision to make it a career, they still have bills to pay and stuff. Do mm. do you guys do the? Uh, sorry, I'm going to use the word guys. Do you guys mm-hmm. and ladies decide to have an agent to guide you through and mentor you through the journey, or how how do you guys make it? How do how do this big Stephen Kings of the world? How do they make it out there? Did they have to have an agent, or did they have to just go solo? It thanks to things like Amazon, you can be more in the director's chair of your career. I've chosen not to take that route. I wanted the traditional experience where you have an editor, a literary agent, um, a publicist, a, a publisher, um, and it's it really depends on what stage your manuscript is at and what your manuscript is about. Like creative nonfiction is going to be a different experience versus fiction um, versus historical fiction, right? So yeah, it really depends on what, uh, what outcome you're looking for. For myself, I, I've never really been one to be like, I wanna be famous, I wanna be rich. No, I, I want to, cultivate something that is rich, that is different, and that can be seen even in just a library. That is that is my greatest dream, that it'll be in a library somewhere and some little black girl will pick it up off the shelf and read it and feel heard. Mm. It's basically, yeah. a, it's almost like a virtuoso cycle for you at a seven-year-old yeah. in I'm, I'm when writing you're writing to myself. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so when I see books in the library, and this is more for me as a business-minded person, when I see mm-hmm. books in the library, are authors, aside from you, are authors mm-hmm. happy about that? Because, hey, that one book now is read by so many people. Well, how am I still making my royalty money and stuff like that? So before yeah. a book hits the library, do mm-hmm. the publishers say we need to maximize it in the market first before we now do like a social kind of thing for, for humanity? Is that, is that the way the thinking is or am I totally wrong? You're not totally wrong, no. Uh, like I said, everybody's experience is a little bit different based on the genre that they're um, working within. However, if you think of it like this, um, I'm, a, I'm a star in Hollywood. I made a movie. Maybe a thousand to a million people watched it, but a billion people watch on Netflix now. So initially... Yes, the publishers will try to push it through the market and you'll do your book tours, you'll do your meet and greets, whatnot, trying to be the next number one bestseller. And then, you know, it kind of trickles down and it goes to the libraries. However, there's other routes too, where a lot of local writers right here in Calgary just source directly into the library because it means more to get their, their story out than it does to be the, not necessarily be the next number one, but in that capacity of like making mega millions. The thing is not everyone is making that just because they're being pushed through the system. It really depends on at the end of the day, like what are you trying to accomplish? Who do you want to be reading this? And, and are you okay with the route we have to take to get it there? So if you go that route, just like you said, for the Calgary space, mm-hmm. how do you guys make money? 
is it through speaking engagements or yeah there's there's speaking engagements there's uh writers and residencies through the local libraries um you can go on your own book tour you can uh sell out of the back of your car if you have to but it, it's a it's a hustle just like any other new business right mm-hmm. i see so mm. have have you published any books so far now that you've been in the game now for six years I have not published a book. Uh, I am working on a collection of short stories and also a historical fiction novel um, in the editing phase of that. So, you know, fingers crossed, I can get it to where it needs to go. I do have an editor who is amazing and works tirelessly to ensure my voice is heard and um, that I'm not quote selling out or anything like that. It, it, it is, the book itself is a ode to my own life, um, but split in two. So basically it's a set of twins who are separated around the age of three. And one is raised in the palace with the Pharaoh and one is raised at home, but secretly. So she is raised as the maid's daughter versus the actual daughter. Um, and just the rest of the story is them cycling through life as um, as women in ancient Egypt. However, their experiences are worlds apart being from a noble family or um, a courtesan. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I didn't hear poetry there. Have you decided to keep poetry on the side and not... Uh, not- present yourself to the world as a poet? I actually incorporate it into a lot of my actual short stories. So again, with the deafening 30, there is spoken word in that. And what makes that one special is the story is written from a man's voice, but he wrote the poem as a woman. Mm. Mm. So very meta. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Gee, that's crazy. Um, So someone listening to this, has aspirations to be a writer or that little black girl out there listening to your story and you want to inspire her, would you say that the choice of the editor is very important because the editor has to edit your manuscript to still mm-hmm. have your voice? Is, 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 mm-hmm. is, that, is, that a correct, is that a correct assessment for a non-public writer yeah. like myself? Yes, it definitely is. Um, first, you have to find your voice and exercise it and make sure you're strong in it because it can become very easy to become swayed. Um, Not that they're doing it maliciously. At the end of the day, it is a product that they're trying to sell. So it's learning, okay, uh, I write in this sort of fashion. I like using these these sort of words. I'm flowery or I'm stoic and just use the bare minimum. I'm a minimalist kind of thing. So really take time to discover that voice before you can protect it. And by protecting it, I mean, having an open dialogue with these editors, um, interview a bunch of editors before you select one, make sure they have um, experience in the genre that you want to be writing in, not just like any old, you know, <laughs> editor will do. Um, and, and, and make sure if they've edited it in, sort, in a, such a way that, doesn't resonate with the story or resonate with you that you speak up. Mm, 
is the choice of a, a publisher as well very important in the decision making of your work or the editor is the most important? They're both very important. Uh, in terms of getting your book up and out of there, I would suggest, again, interviewing some literary agents who are basically the go-between. And they can shop your story around uh, at different uh, different levels that your manuscript is at. And um, they can really help you out with uh, finding a publisher that, that'll be a, a good fit. But again, it is that transparency. It is that give and take. And opening your own mouth to advocate for yourself. Mm. So my last question on this section before we move to the next section when we take our second water break here, which I want to focus mm -hmm. on your travel and setbacks. Um, Afrocentric, the blog, is it still live? It got hacked. <laughs> no. So unfortunately, yeah, I don't have access to it anymore. And it, it was an amazing experience for me because it was it was talking about hair and uh, the black woman's experience when you when you shave it all off, like what's left, you know, mm -hmm. and my my own personal journey with um, becoming a woman without that uh, our I, I view our hair as another appendage, really, because a lot of us are that's our identity, right? So when you get rid of it, like who's left? So it, it, it kind of chronicled that as I grew my hair back out. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, you're not, you're not going to stay here. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not going away from the hair. So I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the hair on the next section, because I also saw that somewhere when I was doing, um, just a minimal research on you, which was, and I think I saw natural hair enthusiasts, and mm -hmm. I was like, interesting. So thanks for bringing that up. I will, I will get to <laughs> ask you that question on the third section. Okay. Sure. So join us uh, for the next conversation with um, Amandela Joseph on the other side. I uh, I wrote this piece. I began again. I wrote it in a female voice as a challenge and in tribute to the female voice that inspired it. It's called feel like this. I watched her whisper into a man's ear. He looked her up, smiled, nodded, and gave her his seat without question. I took a deep breath and started my piece. Is it even right to feel as beautiful as I do? To know that from the end of my narrow nose to the tip of my toes, I torture you? It's downright criminal to feel as disgustingly beautiful as I do. The hypersensitivity of the musicality running from my hips to my lips. I paused for effect. I saw her shift in her seat, but it was too dark to tell whether it was from discomfort from the art installation she sat on or embarrassment. Either way, I would push on. It's plain old sacrilege to feel just as beautiful as I do. Somewhere behind me, the pianist, sax player, and drummer picked up the vibe of my piece, and together we made magic. I continued. As I watch you size up each long, long limb, I know it must be wrong to feel so beautiful as I do. To kiss your lips and watch you all but explode into a burst of technicolor, to be able to dictate the democracy that was formerly governed by you, it's unnerving to feel as beautiful as I do. But I must give credit where it is due, because, honey, you 
You make me feel this beautiful. Yes, you do. I nodded my head to signal the end of my piece and a roar of snaps and cheers went up. I smiled and looked up just in time to see her grab her purse and rush out. I rushed off stage after her. Didn't I tell you to buckle up? Shauna thundered into the microphone. But I don't hear much else after as I chase after Queenie. Queenie, wait, I yelled over the crowd's noise. I thought that maybe she couldn't hear me, so I tried again. Queenie, I yelled louder. At the top of the stairs of the building, she turned toward me finally. Jono, that was great. There were tears in her eyes. Queenie, what's the matter? Where are you going? The night has only just begun, I pressed. Oh, nothing. Hard day at work, I suppose. It was her day off, but I couldn't pry. Stay for a little bit, have a drink with me, I asked. I don't think so, Jono. I'm just really tired. I'm just so tired lately. I think it's best if I go home. She turned to leave without a goodbye. Queenie? Yeah, Jono? She turned back. I feel like I'm not going to see you again for a while. She looked me in the eye for the first time and chuckled. Jono, don't be ridiculous. You're my forever, she said with a hint of irritation in her voice. I'm just tired is all, she tried to reassure me. Well, okay, can I give you a hug goodbye at least? I asked. Why? She chuckled again. I'll see you around. You did a great job tonight, Jono. Bye. And with that, she left. It felt so strange and final, but I had another set coming up and I had to get my mind right. I let her go without bothering to wait and see if she caught a cab. So that was the uh, excerpts of um, a story that Mandela had written a while ago titled The Deafening 30. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I have to admit that uh, I'm privy to have read the entire story and uh, when I did it really shook me emotionally it took me to to the past where I felt like reaching out to people that I have had a a romantic relationship with in the past and wanting to say I'm sorry so I want to thank Amandela for giving me the opportunity to read the entire story and uh, make me get to that place. But anyway, not to get too mushy here, uh, let's get back to the second half of my conversation with Amandala, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the excerpts. So I'm back with um, Amandala, and um, she was talking about the black hair, and as you know by now, I'm always going to stay in places where I'm very interested in. But before we go there, I wanted to ask um, if people are listening to this and want to follow your work, especially when this uh, historical fiction and the short story comes out, how can they do that? Because it's not yet out. So if they want to just keep tabs on what Amandela is doing, where, which platform or how can they do that? The easiest flat platform to follow me on would be Facebook. Um at just Amandela Joseph. There's not a lot of us out there named that, so you can find me. <laughs> um, on Instagram, it is my personal Instagram, but I do answer DMs, any sort of questions that people might have, and that's uh, Shavana, all lowercase, 
C-H-E-V-O-N-A-H. Um, it is private, but I will um, accept and answer any questions. Mm. So when, when the book comes out, is that, uh, would you use Facebook to do some promotion on the book? Yes. Every time I submit a story that is accepted to a literary magazine, I always update and leave the link um, of whether you can purchase or uh, read for free online. Oh, okay. All right. So this natural hair enthusiast, you brought it up. I actually had forgotten about it. So thanks for bringing it back. Why is it so important? Why is it so important to you? As a black woman, especially a West Indian black woman, your hair was your pride. You took care of that like nobody's business. It was, at least in my era, it was just bone straight, long, luscious black hair. There were so many standards it had to fit into, especially as like a you know church going girl, like every Sunday or Saturday, it was, you know, your hair had to be pressed, what we say. <laughs> and that becomes your identity. Like once I shaved my head, I didn't know what to do next. I literally felt the most unattractive and undesirable I've ever felt in my entire life. And it wasn't because it changed my physical features or anything. It was just that I didn't have that added wrapping paper to the present, really. Mm, 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 mm. I like and, that and, wrapping and paper. Even, <laughs> and even the day I did it, the barber refused to do it. And he's like, do you know how ugly you're going to look? And I, yeah, yeah. And I had to swallow <laughs> my words, bite my tongue, and then respond with, yes. There is there is a potential for that, but I highly doubt it. I'm still the same person. Shave my head. People shave their people shave their head for a, an event that has happened or in support of a cause. Mm-hmm. Why did you shave your Why did you shave your head? Why did you shave your hair? Because you can't shave your head. Sorry. <laughs> um, I shaved it because it was becoming an obsession, and I think that speaks to a lot of black women. If we let ourselves admit it, our hair is our obsession. It's the next product. It's the next style. It's the next sew-in. It's never just the way it's supposed to look. Mm. And when, and when did you do this? How many years ago was this? The first time I shaved my head was back oh, in 2000. It's, it's, it's more than once. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay yeah because after that I loved the aesthetic of it I thought it I thought I looked great I felt strong I I had to depend on my other faculties to to feel desirable and 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 whatnot like I I just didn't need it huh so so okay hold a second how many times have you shaved your hair six <laughs> So, sorry, I, I mean, you, you can't see my reaction here, but when you said six, I almost, because I thought I was about to hear two. And I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask, okay, the first time and the second time, what happened? But when you say six, I mean, it is six different events. No. It's, no there, there was no importance on any of the six, except from the first uh, one. I probably the the first one was the most important. And uh, after that, it just became, you know what? I need to concentrate on something else or 
I just need the mental space. Like I, I natural hair is not easy. It's not wash and go, even though it's called that every black girl and black guy who does a wash and go, no, it's a couple of hours of investment. And I just felt like my time could be used so much more efficiently in other areas of my life. Hmm. You know, it's funny. We talk about hair right now. I, I, as you can see, I have a beard and mm-hmm. uh, I have become an environmentalist. I am very big in going to the source of something. So mm-hmm. even in my, even in my, my foods, like granola, I love granola, but now I'm like, I make my own granola. I love mm-hmm. banana bread and I make my own banana bread. Now I'm about to learn how to make sourdough bread by myself. So mm-hmm. the same thing, the same thing applies to shampoo because mm-hmm. I have a beard. I need to, you know, keep it nice and lush. And <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was always getting Dove, Dove uh, men uh, care products. And then I stumbled upon this thing in bulk ban about soap berries. I don't mm. know if you've ever heard. Of, I don't know if you've ever heard of it about it. No. So 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 basically, they're just like berries that just look like mulberries. And okay. You can use it to make shampoo and cleaning products. So huh. so now I use uh, soap berry and it's natural and stuff. And I use it twice twice mm. uh, a week on my hair and my 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 limited hair on my head and of course mm-hmm. on my beard. For you being very mm-hmm. fixated on natural hair enthusiasm and and also not even just saying it but living through it would you say that um this journey of your hair shaving it six times one of them of course is distraction and wanting to focus but also the care of it now that you have hair obviously i can see on your head now <laughs> how you how how, how how are you maintaining it uh i make a lot of my own products um just like you do, but I use um, like Castile soap and I'll add essential oils to it, African black soap, like the bar and just, you know, get in there with that. Um, The one thing that I don't do, which surprises some people is I don't oil or grease my scalp. I let my natural sebum do that. So I actually don't have like dandruff or anything like that because the pH has balanced out what I eat, I pay attention to, I drink a lot of water and, um, it actually just evens itself out. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. If you don't allow the, the oils from the hair product to hit your scalp, how mm-hmm. do you oil it? How do you oil your hair? I, I, I'm, I, I'm asking, I'm asking as an innocent, I'm asking, I'm, I'm asking as an innocent black woman. And I know, sorry, innocent black man. And I know that all <laughs> women have self-care routines. I'm just asking because I've never had that before. Yeah. Um, for a while I was working in aromatherapy. I've, I've done a lot of different things, but I was working in aromatherapy and I actually learned that your sebum, like your natural oils in your body will lubricate what it needs to lubricate. And when you get flakes is because you've overdone it or over dried it out. So like too much washing or too much oil or too much grease will actually do the reverse. So if you allow your diet and your natural balancing hormones in your body, take care of it. You don't actually need to grease your scalp. The hair shaft is a little different, um, but what I use is rose water um, alkaline water and like the tiniest amount of like coconut oil or, um, Jamaican black castor oil, if it's winter time and it needs a little extra zhuzh. 
what is what is what is heshaft? Um, like you have like the root, and then the rest of it is like a, just the hair that comes out of your scalp. Oh, the shaft so, of hair. so basically, when I when you look at uh, women or let me say men, <laughs> that you look at them and they they're just gray on the roots. That is just mm -hmm. the root, but then the normal hair is black. So that normal hair that grows is called a hair shaft. Yes, we can. Yeah, we can agree on that. Oh my God, I'm learning a lot here. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, last question on this, and then uh, transition. Um, since you are a person, a proponent of um, hair products and stuff, mm -hmm. I use argan oil on my beard. Mm -hmm. um, what's your thought about argan oil? Because it is always been said it comes from Morocco and it's very good for hair follicles and stuff. Is, it, is that true or is it just marketing ploy? A little both, unfortunately. Certain brands, um, there's not a lot of argan oil in it. There's just enough to say, to claim that it is what it is, if that makes sense. Um, and also in discovering what products work for you, you have to remember that you might have sensitivities to things that you didn't know before because we don't eat arrogant nuts throughout the day or macadamia nuts throughout the day. Like we wouldn't know. So I learned this the hard way that I'm allergic to macadamia nut oil because some of it was in a product that got onto my scalp and then I just like broke out. Um, same with arrogant oil. Like if you notice the skin, like underneath your beard here, starts to like flake or feel irritated not too long after you've used it it's not an oil that your body needs it's the way your body tells you it's rejecting it. it's not necessary it's the same principle for aromatherapy when if you smell something and it and you feel comfortable like your nervous system is is aligned uh then you can keep using that oil but if there's a particular scent that you just feel icky you just you don't know what it is but it doesn't feel right it's actually your nervous system telling you you don't need the properties in that essential oil oh i wish i wish i could really go live in a in the woods somewhere and just make all my own products and then that way i know what is in there but i think yeah. my my eccentric nature has to have a limit somewhere <laughs> because because i honestly i love it when i put my argan oil on my head and my mm -hmm. hair on my head and my beard it just it just pops, man. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, 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 feel, I, I feel like Shaft. I, look, I feel like Shaft again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just give me the gun. Let me go into the neighborhood and take care of the bandits. <laughs> All right. So um, there, there's, there's a phrase that you really enjoy listening to and you heard it on a TV show. And I want mm -hmm. to understand what that phrase, um, what it speaks to you when, when you hear it or when you say it to yourself, which is expansion always in always. Mm -hmm. what, 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 what speaks to you when, when that phrase comes to mind or when you use it for yourself? What came to mind for me and the, what sticks with me is the limitlessness of expansion. You can decide um, today, I am going to be the greatest writer or the greatest orator there has ever been. But first you have to invest in that expansion. You have to put in the work. So that's the always. And then in all ways is that you don't have to limit yourself to just being a great orator. You can also be the best cook. You can be the best mom, the dad. 
in every facet of your life, strive for expansion and it will happen always. Hmm. I think, do, do you, do you use this as a signature at your bottom of your email? No, but I should, hey? You should. I think so. I was just, <laughs> I was, I was, I was just looking at email here. I'm like, that should be there. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, it's very, very inspirational, especially when you describe it in all ways. Mm-hmm. Then you're just like, oh, wow. Not only just the one thing, but in all forms of your life and yes. everything. It's a lifestyle. Mm. So you have traveled a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And when you shared the countries you've been to, when did travel come into your system and when did you decide to embrace it to travel? And when you travel, what's, what have you learned so far in your travel history? Uh, travel's always been a big thing for my mother and I. Um, growing up, it wasn't always easy being a single mom, but somehow she was always able to give me these amazing experiences and excursions. We'd go to Radium Hot Springs for a week. We'd, we'd go, we would literally just flip through maps and be like, okay, this is where we're going. And it, it was a, a bonding experience that I can't really articulate very well because it's just so ingrained in our relationship. So that's where I got like the traveling bug from is every five years would be somewhere else. <laughs> Um, but then my own personal solo travel that started happening around 2017, 16, um, I would, you know, travel to Vancouver on my own and, and write, um, a lot of the places that I've gone, it has been classified, I guess, as a writing trip. Um, the few places I have been such as St. Vincent and, um, um, Barbados, um, those were more, eat pray love experiences (laughs) did a lot of eating a lot of praying and a lot of loving and like I I treasure those memories I I hate that you know COVID has stopped all of us from really going deeper into our travels it's something that I want to pick back up again but traveling on your own it's it's a whole other beast Mm. Like you, you learn to get out of yourself because you have no choice. You don't have anyone else there to, you know, you can't be like, Hey, can you ask that person? This, this, and this, like, you got to get up and do it. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to wake up every day and you've got to stick to your excursions you've planned and just be open. And for a long time, I wasn't very open except for when I was writing. So the traveling actually opened my mind and got me talking. Mm. So so predominantly before you started traveling and stuff, were you as an only child and unfortunately not having uh, good friends or public Mm -hmm. friends when you were in high school or middle school, were you, was your predominant personality an introvert? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Now I proudly say that I'm an extroverted introvert. Um, (laughs) It's it's still there. I can be quite quiet sometimes, but for the most part, I I have found my voice and I I like hearing it. Mm, I like hearing it. So of all these countries you've been to, which most of of them 
when you shared with me, most of them are in the, uh, okay, so pardon me for saying this. Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. Is West Indies the right thing to say? Because someone, I remember someone from Bahamas telling me, stop saying Caribbean. That's it's mm-hmm. not right. I, I, don't, I don't know why. So is it right to say West Indies for all the collection of all these this islands like St. Vincent, St. Lucia and all of them? I believe so. I, it, each West Indian person or Caribbean person has their own preference of what they like to be labeled as. I prefer the West Indies because it just feels more unifying than the Caribbean. Um, yeah, it, it, for me, it makes sense to me to be called West Indian and I prefer it. Why, do, why did that friend of mine be against Caribbean and you are also, I wouldn't say you're against because you've not told me you're against, but mm-hmm. what, what is it about that term for you? For me, Caribbean sounds like, it's going to sound bad, but it sounds like a place that white people go to have fun. It doesn't sound like people actually live there. Like there's a heritage, there's a history. West Indian, that's that's strong. Hmm. That's that's a people, that's a unified people. Mm, mm, mm. So you 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 were educating me about the Republic of the Dominica. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Dominican Republic, yes. No, not the Dominican Republic. You are from another spot. Oh, the Commonwealth. Yes. The, com- the Commonwealth of Dominica. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you were saying it's very big on ecotourism. So if I were to go to Commonwealth of Dominica through mm-hmm. your eyes, what should I experience there? Oh, where do I start? Ah, Tutu Gorge. It's a this place where you, you dive in and you swim. Th- you feel like you're going to run out of air, but don't be scared. You're not going to because you come up. And you're inside this underwater cave and it looks like the back of your throat. That's why it's called Tutu Gosh. And Tutu Gosh, like T-U-T-U-G-O-S-H. Like, you know, your spelling of Padua probably is as good as Nacre as mine. I'll, I'll Google it. I'll continue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you, it looks like the little, you know, little uvula in the back of your throat. And it's a, a popular destination. My favorite is like the Boiling Lake. We have a lot of... Um, underwater volcanoes so there's places like champagne falls where when you're swimming in it they're blowing up warm bubbles of water from the volcanoes there's volcanoes in inside the water underneath the water yes nice there's um screw spa which is a a natural spring um it's a sulfur spring and very popular destination my other favorite is um Ooh, what's the English name for it? Um, Scotshead, where the Indian Scotshead. Ocean and the Atlantic, yeah, and the Atlantic Ocean okay. come and they actually crash into each other. It's a, it's a almost like a precipice that you walk up to, and you just see the oceans meeting and crashing against each other and like just fighting against each other. But there's a, a definitive line like you can tell. It's almost like you're looking wow. at it on a map. Yeah. Huh. Jeez. My favorite, my absolute favorite is there's a river that's not too far from the village of Bents. And that is where I have some of my most visceral like memories of just washing clothes in the river and just, you know, washing shirts on rocks and like listening to the other women singing and kids playing. And you could sit there all day and not see the same thing twice. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm tempted to ask you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the word. You mentioned the word earlier. Stoic. Stoic. Yes. Yes. Are you a minimalist, or do you subscribe to minimalism? I believe so. In my later years, I've been quite a minimalist. I don't have a lot of possessions, and I like it that way. I find that I can pick up and go when I need to a lot easier. And I just have more mental space when there's less things around. Mm, very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. So so you've told us the places that we should go if we mm. visit uh, the Commonwealth of the Dominica, which is now on my, on my, on my radar now, and especially because mm-hmm. of experiencing those volcanic uh, bubbles in the water. And then most importantly, the the clash of the Atlantic Ocean and which other ocean did you say? The Indian Ocean. Indian Ocean, okay. In terms yes. of food, is the, is the food in Commonwealth, Commonwealth of Dominica spicy or is it very bare? Because most West Indians places, plantain, the rice and the peas yes. and the beans. Yeah, it <laughs> it's very similar, yes. Um, it. I'm more used to village food, so that would be more like bun and cheese (laughs) there's always like uh, a baker in Bents that comes out and walks through the whole village with all of their bread and you buy it and you eat it and it's still hot like I prefer those experiences versus like going into town and eating at a restaurant Mm. Um, my favorite dish of all time would have to be like oxtail and rice um or like hold a second, hold a second, hold a second. Is this thing really an is it is this really a tail of an ox? Yes. In terms of yes. nutrition, what, what kind of nutrition are we getting from the tail of an ox, please? You know, I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't tell you, but it's probably <laughs> not that great considering how much gristle can be on it. Um, but it's not something we eat every day. As growing up, we would eat it usually like, you know, birthdays, Christmas, like a major holiday or something. It's not an, it's not an everyday meal. You would sleep most of the time if that's what's the case. It's the equivalent of eating it like, you know, uh, certain people wouldn't eat a turkey every single day, but once a year they do. I think I think I would like to get to the genesis of how oxtail got into the West Indian uh, cuisine and why it's uh, almost like a delicacy. I think it has to do with um, being poor and the certain Mm. cuts of meat that you can afford and what you can afford to hold back from selling. That's true. So you can sell all the other portions of the ox that Mm. will give you more Mm -hmm. money. And Uh hey guys, this is what we are left with. So let's make do. Let's eat it. Yeah. Wow. And now you guys have popularized it. And now we uh, look at oxtail and think this is a delicacy, not doing that the history <laughs> from, unfortunately, economic situations. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So so the street food in, you were telling us about the street food in Benz. Mm-hmm. So you can get just about anything. I love it's something called kenip. Uh, I think other other culture, other countries, they call it like skinip guinep but i call it kenip right and what it is is like a little green fruit on the outside it's almost like an orange rind and you burst it with your teeth and inside is this like gelatinous fruit that has a pit on the inside that you can then break roast it and eat it so it's like the ultimate (laughs) like 
zero footprint food. You just eat all of it. Hmm. What, it what, what, yeah. what, what comes to my mind is you have some of this in the back of an SUV and you go out to, into the boonies and then you set up a bonfire, eat the mm-hmm. juicy part and then put a stick and make like a marshmallow with it maybe. Yeah. You Very just pound it out, break it, eat it. It's delicious. Are you from Benz in, in the Commonwealth of Dominica? Uh, my mother is from Benz and my father is from Roseau, the capital. Roseau. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I want to ask a question and I hope you don't mind if I go there. And if you, if you don't want to dwell there, please uh, <laughs> do, something and, do something and I'll get away. But you talk about your mom a lot. And then you mm-hmm. finally said, I was raised by a single mom. Dad, mm-hmm. dad, was never, dad was never in the picture? It wasn't that he wasn't in the picture. It was he preferred to be in a different picture. <laughs> um, okay. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I, I, I guess you've answered the question and you're basically saying full stop. All right, sounds good. So <laughs> your, your stepdaughter, sorry, stepsister that is 13 years younger than you. My half-sister, uh, Half-sister, my bad, sorry, half-sister. Um, currently currently with you in Canada or back in the Commonwealth of Dominica? Uh, I believe she still lives with uh, my father's side family. Okay, okay, yeah. understood. All right, sounds good. So um, of your travel and your uh, desires, most of your travel has always been in the West Indies. Would you describe yourself as an adventurer when you do these travels or do you travel, as you rightly said, not rightly, as you said earlier, uh, you traveled for writing. Have you now started to travel for adventure or it's still writing that takes you to go to these places? In the beginning, it was the writing. Um, going to St. Vincent was actually, it initially was just to go to a wedding and then it just kind of kept going. <laughs> and I, I enjoyed it so much. I, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably still be island hopping till today because I... I just love it. I love how each country is just so different, but yet so similar to my own that I don't really feel like a tourist. Even, mm-hmm. And so I can experience it in a different way um, that only comes with looking like everyone else. Mm. And I think craving that is what made me do most of my traveling in the West Indies just Mm -hmm. not having that growing up and then suddenly being thrust into it and being like, wow, we have history. We have a lot to be proud of. You know what I mean? Like even our music, like there's nowhere else in the world where our music sounds like that. Which is reggae. Sorry. I'm sounding. No, (laughs) I know. I was about to say. uh, Actually um, most people on the Island, they'll, nowadays people all is still like dance hall but it's been more like calypsonian music um soca music zook um oh yeah. zook is zook is really cool though but yeah. i thought i thought i thought i thought zook originated from france uh i don't know where it originated from to be totally honest with you i just know it's a big thing uh it was bigger when my mom was you know there and younger but like i said now people kind of distance themselves from the traditional kind of music and more into the top 40 that we listen to out here 
Because Zook, Zook is very romantic, though I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, 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 Zook, you, you might have, you might have a child. Um, <laughs> so, so, so moving, moving around this island since they're so close to one another, is it uh, easy to move around them? And is it, is, the, is it mostly, is it cheap to move around them? Because there's islands and there's water and stuff. I don't know if there are mm-hmm. highways that connect to each island. Is, is that how it's connected? No. Uh... The two main ways to get from one to the next would be by boat or by plane. And they're not like Air Canada planes or they, they are your basic 12 seater, seven seater, very bumpy ride <laughs> not for Propeller. the faint of heart. Propeller planes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, you, you prefer it, to move it, by water? No, I actually prefer the plane because it's, it's a lot less time consuming. So you can make like an hour trip, you know, an hour versus several hours on a boat. Mm-hmm. 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 And um, mm-hmm. please continue, please. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say that uh, when it comes to traveling between the islands, um, it helps if you're a local or at least you can sound like a local, you'll get a better deal um, on your flight. Because uh, there are two ver- two versions of the same ticket, mm. and most people don't know that. <laughs> there are two versions of what? The same ticket, as in, like, if you ask, okay, I'm going from Dominica to J- Jamaica, how much does it cost? They might tell you, ah, uh, like a hundred EC, right? Um, versus if someone had an accent that sounded more like a Barbadian or a Jamaican, they'd be like, ah, it's fifty EC. So, and uh, even on the website, like it asks if you're a local and whatnot. So mm. it's, it's easier if you're a local to go island hopping. For you, born in Canada, lived in Canada for a long time. When you go back to home, mm-hmm. do, can you switch? I don't switch. I don't code switch or views. <laughs> so unfortunately, you're paying the 100 EC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though you're from there yeah yeah oh wow so of, of all these islands aside from the commonwealth of dominica which one is your mm-hmm. favorite that you've visited mm-hmm. saint lucia and why it, it i i visited there at a time where i really needed that escape and i remember the first day that i was there uh, it was actually evening by the time I arrived where I was staying and just watching the sunset over the water, I actually started crying. It was just so beautiful. I had never seen colors like that. Mm-hmm. And even listening to the, like, we call them mountain chickens where I'm from, but it's basically frogs. They're very big frogs. <laughs> it, listening to them croak in the night and the the crickets and the manicou and like all the different animals just like waking up for the evening. Uh, it was enchanting. Is that the one thing that you would tell someone that visiting St. Lucia to experience or there's one other thing that you're like, you got to experience this if you go to St. Lucia through your eyes? Through my eyes. I think that would be it. Like the natural beauty. I'm, I, I'm not really one to be like, this is a destination that you need to go to or this resort to stay at it's 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 a feeling mm. you tell me what you want to feel and i'll tell you where to go mm, mm. i feel you i feel you all right well um, i'm about to 
go to our final session here because now I want to go to uh, a session of uh, the show that uh, I really enjoy, which is talking about setbacks and how you mm -hmm. rebounded from that. So um, I hope you would uh, be kind enough and gracious enough to just uh, give me a few more minutes as well for the audience, if that's okay. Sure, absolutely. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to be back with um, Amandala Joseph and uh, see you on the other side. So we're back with uh, Amandala Joseph and uh, Amanda, Amandala, thank you so much for spending this time with us uh, today. Um, I was just perusing your bio here uh, mm -hmm. while we're just uh, taking a break. And there's a term here, POC. What does mm -hmm. that mean? Person of color. <laughs> is that a term coined by you or this is now something that is popular? And this is this is the terminology or BIPOC or POC. BIPOC. Black how, how do you, BIPOC. How do you spell BIPOC? B I B I P O C. So Black Indian person of color. It's a oh, more of an is, inclusive term than just POC. And this is the BIPOC is mainly used by people from the West Indies uh, region. No, 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 no. It's anyone of color. So East Indian, West Indian, Black, African. Yeah. Hmm. And this is. It's an inclusive it, term. Oh, wow. Never, ne never came come across it before. Actually, the first time I saw it, you know, the first thing I thought about? Hmm. I thought peace officer. Oh. All <laughs> <laughs> <A little> different. <laughs> that, that, that's what I thought about. So I was like, hold on a second. Am I talking to a cop? <laughs> first I was a doctor. Now I'm a cop. I, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> Trust, trust me, I'm a doctor. Okay, trust me, I'm a peace <laughs> officer. <laughs> so, um, I have, um, I believe that everybody has got setbacks in life, uh, mm -hmm. especially if you have lived on this earth for a while. I'm on the fourth floor, and I know which floor you are on. Um, mm -hmm. Which setback is memorable for you, and uh, if you can share with us that setback and how you rebounded from it, uh, I, I would like to hear that story. Uh, I mentioned earlier on in our conversation today that I lost a life partner quite early in life. And for me, that was the greatest setback, yet the greatest gift I was given. And I say that because it was a, a setback for obvious reasons, because of grief and loss and trying to make sense of life but it was a gift in that that individual finally found rest. I found my voice and through my storytelling, I keep their memory alive. Hmm. If, if I, when you say life partner, if I may mm -hmm. ask, um, we're talking a romantic interest here. Yes. And, and, and how, and uh, how long was this uh, relationship for? about two and a half years it in retrospect it doesn't feel or sound like a long time but we spent a lot of time together as friends first um we went to college together and um, went to the same church uh we just were in each other's circles a lot so there was a good foundation before it became a romantic relationship um yeah they the individual was a writer, an artist, uh, just name it, he could do it. 
And it was so inspiring to be a part of his life and him be a part of my life that I, I like to pay homage as many times as I can in whatever way that I can. Mm-hmm. And I feel you, I feel you because uh, in the previous, uh, in the episode that was published today on the show, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I mentioned uh, my friend passed away exactly a month ago on July 22nd. Oh, it's okay. And I used uh, today's August 22nd, which is exactly one month. And I I gave him a 10 second uh, kind of silence. So Mm. uh, this two and a half years that you just mentioned, is this two and a half years of you starting off as friends or two and a half years of now you guys doing this thing called life together? Doing this thing called life together. Uh, Ah. So if, if I may ask, since you say you like to pay homage to that experience and that this, and this individual, what, what was it about the relationship that you really enjoyed? Because, you know, when, when you started by telling us the story, I thought you were going to tell me seven years or nine years or something, but two and a half years is, is quite short, but it seems very, yeah. very, it seems very, very powerful for you. So what was it about the relationship that you really enjoyed? He was my best friend in every capacity. He knew every skeleton in the closet. I knew all of his and we didn't judge each other for it. We nurtured each other. We taught each other things. We spent the time that most people skip over developing a foundation, developing that trust, um, sometimes even saving each other from things. Um, Prior to that relationship, I was in a very abusive situation and the only, honestly, in my opinion, the only reason I was able to get up out of it was from his support. And it was basically the first time in my life where I didn't have to be something in order to be loved. I could just be me and just be in that moment. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you both see his passing coming or was it sudden? I saw some, some inklings, um, but overall it was sudden as in he was very young. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And from a healing perspective, okay, you don't know this mm-hmm. about me, so I will share, I, I, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. And this is why I tell you mental health is a very big thing for me because uh, my, I call it my fake marriage. Mm-hmm. My fake, I, I do, I do. Because um, one day, one day the audience will hear that story because I want to be a guest on the show and I want someone to, to, to have a conversation with me. Hopefully it's you as a writer, maybe mm-hmm. who knows, but I, I want to select someone to, to, to bring out that conversation. Now, um, I truly feel that I started to, I got to a place where I now could truly have a genuine relationship as of December 25th, 2021. Between June 2016 to December 25th, 2021, Mm -hmm. everybody that that was in that time scale, unfortunately, I feel bad to admit it, but they were were experiencing not the real me. Mm. So... For, for you, losing this person two and a half years of a solid friendship and stuff, um, how, how, did you, how did you heal? 
four, about six, seven years after, um, I wasn't in the space to heal. I felt like if I could just stay in this really deep, low place, I can still stay in contact with them. I could feel what they must have been feeling. And I didn't give myself permission to let go because I I felt in that moment, if I let go, I would forget. And for me, um, to be totally honest, there are still times where I will think to myself, huh, I don't remember what their voice sounds like anymore. Or I don't remember what their laugh sounds like anymore. And so you go through these like mini grieving processes throughout, especially when you lose someone you love so deeply and who is such a instrumental part of your adulthood. Uh, I think for those six years, I didn't really get over it, quote unquote, because I didn't know how to adult without him. Um, I had to relearn. It was almost like I went through a terrible illness and had to relearn how to walk, talk, understand and communicate to people. Yeah. How are you now? I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. No problem. (laughs) So, yeah. So, um, what final thoughts would you have before I ask you my final question for someone listening to this conversation? What makes you happy is my question. Genuinely happy, even beyond happy, joyful. And why aren't you doing it? <laughs> you, you, know, you know, I wish I could turn around the question to you, but that would not be fair. So I'll leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> because, wow. Actually, let me see. If I were to ponder that question to myself, what would that be for me? Mm-hmm. I think I, th- I think mine would be being in the gym. Mm-hmm. Mine would be being in the gym because I tell people that um, the gym is not a place where I go to sculpt my body. Mm-hmm. The, the gym is a place where I go to remove excess from my mind. Mm-hmm. So I think the gym is where I'm... If I, and that's why during during the pandemic when the gym was taken away for a short period of time in Kenya, I won't lie to you. I did something very innovative and I'm very glad. Actually, I want to give a shout out to, to, to that gym, uh, First Power Fitness in Kenya. I mean, the owner, I basically said to the owner, can we make a, can we make a deal? How about every time I'm walking out in the gym, because of course the gyms are supposed to be closed. I wear the staff uniform. So that hmm. if the police if the police comes in here, they will say, "Oh, he's, he's, he's a staff just cleaning up the place." <laughs> and that I kid you not, that that was the only way I was able to keep my sanity. And that's why when I look at people that were experiencing the pandemic here in Canada and how mm-hmm. Canada was so strict with the pandemic, yeah, I think I think I would have not made it. It was so. it was tough. It was really tough. A hmm. lot of relationships got tried in a very uncomfortable way Mm. what about you how did you how how did you handle that tough closure and 
all the things that came with it? I started connecting with old friends that I hadn't seen in decades. Just FaceTime anyone and everyone. And like, just trying to add structure to my day, um, especially with the lockdowns, you couldn't go anywhere really. So I'd, I'd have to be creative. I, I started taking some online classes um, just to keep my mind busy. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, behind a fence, still interacting with my neighbors or my family members who dropped by. And uh, I, I had to get creative so that I stayed in tune and, and, and exercise my, my conversation skills. Mm-hmm. So my, my final question is if, if failure, mm-hmm. if failure was eradicated and you knew you would not fail, what uh, project would you embark on? Hmm. I think what I would do, actually, I know what I would do. I would create not just stories, but like a whole series. I, I want to fill an art gallery. I want to just dedicate one day to myself where I actually fully accept that, you know, the, the props as they call them, or, um, you know, the good for you's like, I, I, I shy away from that. And so, um, I would, I would give myself the opportunity to fully create and, and let it all out. Yeah. What's holding you back from doing that now? I thought you said you weren't going to ask me my question back. Um, <laughs> um, what's stopping me now? Absolutely nothing. Myself. Hmm. You know, I, I'm going to share with you after this conversation uh, a project that a guy did called Kevin Kelly mm-hmm. and this is the for me I think this project is a project of discipline a project of passion and a project of saying I'm going to bring it out to the world even though I don't care how it's being it's going to be perceived mm-hmm. and it's he started this project in 1973 just by visiting a country in Asia and by so doing he now started visiting Asia for the last 40 years mm-hmm. and he now he took 9,000 pictures in the entire time of these 40 years. And each of these pictures, he's captioned it personally. And he, hmm. now, created, he now created um a volume, three, a volume, basically like a series, like you said, and he titled it Vanishing Asia. And hmm. it's, it has a uh, volume one, volume two, and volume three. And uh, the, the thesis behind the project is capturing things that have started to disappear from the cultures of these 35 countries so that if future generations stumble upon this book, hopefully they can bring it back. Wow. And, uh, and uh, each, each of those three books, uh, uh, was a, he launched it on Kickstarter and uh, it was $250 per, per book. So wow. I, I, I will share the YouTube video with you. It's 12 minutes long on how he created it and hopefully it inspires you to say, you know what? Nothing is holding me back from this. I'm just going to do it as well. I think, I think one of the things that holds us back sometimes from doing things like that is we think of the time and then we think of the monetary aspect of it and saying, will I get any reward for this? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and, I, and I end with this. 
by saying some of the best artistic work out there was not appreciated for it for the first time when it was launched. Mm-hmm. But then but then it starts to go viral. And then hopefully the artist is still alive to be able to get the adulation. Yeah. So so it, I think sometimes we should just create. I I, I, I had one, I, I, I said that was my final question, but this this, <laughs> seems to, this 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 keeps on coming back for me, which I just want to ask and just scratch that itch. You've 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 mentioned the church a few times. Yes. Especially, especially when you were also talking about your partner, uh, the part the, the, the one that you unfortunately uh, lost. The church is—is is it still very important in your life today? Spirituality is important to me. A personal relationship with a higher power um, is the ultimate for me. It has shifted from going to a physical building and that being important every single week to do, because I realized I was doing it for other people. I was doing it to, you know, be the good Christian. Whereas I feel like my relationship now with the higher power that I choose to call God um, is so much stronger once I dropped that mentality. And, and once I said, you know what, this is who I am. I am so flawed. I am so out of my league. I need your help. And I hear him in what I do every day for people. I hear him in literally everything that I do. And then it's not, it wasn't always like that before when I, when I was a regular attendee of such and such building. I think that's I think that's a very good place for us to end this conversation. Well, Amandala, Shavona, mm-hmm. Joseph, thank you very much. Did I pronounce your middle name right? Shavona? Siobhan. Siobhan. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think I think I wanted to Instagram. Fem- I wanted to feminize it by using the A at the end, just like Amandala oh. with the A. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember you telling me that's the name that your father gave you. Yes. So he that's why that's why he has the male component still there, huh? <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so thank you so much for coming on the show. And, Not a problem. Uh, thank you for having me. You're the first you're the first author to 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 come on the show. So I'm I'm glad I was able to have a conversation with an author, uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, reading your book when it comes out. And I hope yeah. uh, someone someone listening to this can uh, keep following your work and as you said we can follow your work on facebook and on instagram and uh your name again on inst on facebook is amandala joseph joseph yes and on instagram is shavana c-h-e-v-o-n-a-h fantastic thank you so much thank you all right Another episode has successfully come to an end. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with the guests. And um, if you did, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, uh, depending on which uh, podcast directory you're listening to uh, this um, show or episode on. Um, Also share with a friend. And lastly, Uh, Remember to also go to the website to subscribe to the Three Nuggets Wednesday. From time to time, I do share uh, 
a free newsletter link on the social media such as WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. That way you can take a gander of uh, the newsletter and see what the content is like. And uh, that way you can peruse it before you subscribe and get to know if it's adding value to your life or not. With that being said, as I like to always end every conversation I have with most of my friends and with you, do something crazy and take some risk this week. Have a great one. Enjoy yourself. Take care. Bye-bye.